We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Like on a book. Well, certainly it's gratifying. But my hope is that folks will read it, will take the lessons from the book that I have to offer, and that it will help them, you know, navigate whether it's a threatening crisis or a serious issue um, so that, you know, their brand, this is a business book essentially, um, can come out of, you know, a really tough situation unscathed. And so I talk about in the book how to do that beforehand, how to prepare, and then how to respond when obviously all eyes are on. So I, I want to I want to get into a bunch of the nuts and bolts, but sure. I, I actually I want to start this off with a more personal thing, which is how did you do it? You come home at seven at night, you see your kid, you put your kid to bed, you see your wife, and you just want to you know go four fingers on scotch or a glass of wine and watch a show. Like how do you do it? Well, Brian, I don't know if you've heard of this thing that uh, we all experienced the past few years, which is the global pandemic. Oh, right. So right. in my- Yeah, but most of us just like smoked weed and walked our dog. Well, there was that as well. But the fact <laughs> is, is that, you know, I didn't have to commute into Boston. I live north of Boston. Our offices are there. And so I was saving about three hours every day. Yeah. And so I was in my home office- and I would, you know, finish my work uh, for my clients. And then, you know, it was sort of always on my bucket list that I wanted to write a book, just wasn't really sure what I wanted it to be about. But then I realized that between bylines, contributed pieces I had provided to, you know, public relations trades, presentations, panel opportunities I've been giving, uh, speaking, you know, occasions, that I had enough material that I thought could start to, you know, be shaped into an outline for for a book that would offer some value to CEOs, senior executives, because I had read books on crisis communications in the past. Right. And frankly, I didn't think they were They're that all great. stunk. Yeah, sure. Well, and they also didn't have the perspective of a former journalist who had covered brands in crisis for 20 years. And watched people make mistakes every stinking day. On these issues. And have successes, correct. Yeah, right. So I was able to study in those 20 years what were the decisions made at that senior level that often determined whether a reputation was torn down or whether it you know, was built back up, essentially. So how do you get, we're talking about T.J. Winnick, uh, the book is Reputation Capital, and, and we'll get into a little more of our backstory, too, uh, as the morning progresses. So then you you just shop it to publishers? Like, how do you get somebody to say yes? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I did have the help of a literary agent, and so he had warned me ahead of time that it was going to be about a three-month process, uh, in his estimation. The book wasn't written yet, though. It was just a pitch? Well, th there was a rough draft. Okay. There was a rough draft. Oftentimes when books are pitched to publishers, there's just an outline and basically a synopsis of what each chapter would contain. But in my case, 
you know, because I had so much time during the pandemic. You flat out wrote some stuff. I got a lot on paper, sure. So he shopped it around, and it was about three months. You know, it's like like anything worth achieving, you're going to receive a lot more uh, rejections than, uh, you know, than acceptance letters. So I, I finally got my acceptance, I believe, in June of last year. From Barrett Kohler, which is a business publisher out in Oakland, California. And uh, what I liked about them was that, not that this is a uh, pitch for uh, BK, but the fact is, is that they have a very collaborative approach. Uh, oftentimes you sign with publishers. They and just take it and run with it. They take it, they run with it, they say, this is the cover, right? right? Uh, we don't like this, you're going to take this out. And so I appreciated um, the significant input that I had into the final product. All right, listen, yeah, I, I want to ask you about the cover art, too, uh, a little bit later. We have to take a quick break. We're talking with T.J. Winnick here on Brian & Company and WTIC News Talk 1080. All right, your time is, we're crawling up on 652. I'm here with T.J. Winnick, author of Reputation Capital here, and we're we're not childhood friends. We grew up in uh, different towns. His Marblehead Mass, mine Swampscott Mass, two rivals. You know, people used to cross the border into Marblehead, go to the roast beef place and look for a fight it was like not quite like american graffiti-ish but it kind of had shades of it i think you needed a passport to get across the border <laughs> well, did you, you, not? you needed to prove i don't know you go into marblehead you had to prove you had enough money to spend it in the town i guess um swamps got much more demographically diverse than than marblehead although marblehead shifted a lot but what i want to what was the name of the theater well there was the warwick the warwick theater and but I remember I don't know if you remember the Surf Cinema. Yeah, of course. In Swamp, that was right over the hill from my house. But then they closed it. And the reason why I say I tell this, I've told the story on this show that when Dirty Dancing came out, the Warwick oversold, and I watched the movie sitting in the aisles, and mm-hmm. I, I'll never forget that. Now the movie I want to talk about this morning is Back to the Future. You know, we're similar ages. Sure. I mean, sure. do you? I mean, obviously, love you, Back to the Future, right? I mean, it's one of the yeah. the most memorable movies of our childhood, right? And so. And and reading about the, and because Eric Stoltz, his birthday is today, and the way the story goes, I mean, you probably know this to some degree, but he was originally cast as Marty McFly. But what I didn't know is that they actually started filming, and they filmed a bunch of it, and then they realized he was not right. They actually wanted Michael J. Fox first, but he couldn't work it out with his family ties schedule, and then they realized Eric Stoltz was not going to work out, and they went back to... To, to Michael J. Fox and said, what, what do you got to do? And then they had to fire Eric Stoltz. And and uh, Zemeckis, Robert Zemeckis, who directed, said it was probably like the hardest meeting of his entire life. Um, and the movie was 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 a huge hit. And it, it, I love the history of it because they, they pitched, Zemeckis hadn't had any hits. And then he took on Romancing the Stone, which I didn't even know he directed. And because that movie did well, he got the license to sort of freedom to do this movie and the only guy who guess the only director in Hollywood at one point who believed in this project was guess. You're probably not going to get it as a leading question, but still, uh, Steven Spielberg, hundred percent, yes. Spielberg was the one guy who read it said that, and Spielberg is a bleeping genius. Anyway, this scene is the 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 iconic first scene where he asked Marty to come down to the Twin Pines Mall and to show him something, and we we try to pinch it a little bit. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour. You're gonna see some serious What's this? What's this?
Both Einstein and the car are completely intact. Where the hell are they? The appropriate question is, when the hell are they? You see, Einstein has just become the world's first time traveler. I sent him into the future. One minute into the future, to be exact. And precisely, 1.21 a.m. in zero seconds, we shall catch up with him at the time machine. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? The way I see it, if you're gonna build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? Besides, the stainless steel construction with the flux dispersal. Look out! <laughs> By the way, it's so low tech. <laughs> like you see the flames go through their legs. It's like so not even CGI. I don't know. What did you you tell me some off off mic? Yeah, I was telling you that um, October twenty first, two thousand and fifteen, is what they set the date to uh, in the DeLorean. And so every October twenty first, it's Happy Back to the Future Day. It's like sort of May the Fourth be with you. Uh, that's so. It's Back to the Future Day, October twenty first. Yeah, I mean, I don't know after 2015 how many, uh, you know, large get-togethers there have been in honor of the movie, but I figure you're a devotee, so yeah. why not? Well, listen, the movie, by by the way, was it wasn't an inexpensive movie to make. Well, back then, it, they made it for $20 million, basically, and overall, it's been re-released a couple times. Its overall gross is $388 million. It's incredible. And you and you can read a ton about it, the making of it because it's Robert Zemeckis is like one of the most successful directors and like he hadn't done much of anything. But it was also an introduction really for Christopher Lloyd, who was fantastic on Taxi yep. um, to the American public who, you know, hadn't really known him uh, the way they knew him after. Doc Brown forever. Doc, Doc Brown. Uh, real quick here, we're with um, T.J. Winnick, author of uh, Reputation Capital. I want to talk quickly about about – uh, we only have about two minutes, but about about yeah. the book. Yeah. And first of all, what is what is Reputation Capital? So I describe Reputation Capital as the sum total of goodwill a brand has earned through its previous actions, right? It's accrued numerous ways. We all know this. Uh, word of mouth, online reviews, the level of trust established with you know key stakeholders like customers, clients, uh, the perceived value of a product. You know, just think about Apple. Um, and thought leadership that that brand demonstrates in its industry and beyond. And the reason that the book is called Reputation Capital is because it is the leading factor, I believe, in how successfully a brand can weather a crisis, you know, i.e. how it's perceived ahead of time, positively or negatively, uh, in neutral times. And so if you build up your reputation capital and then you're slammed with a crisis, which happens to everyone, you'll be that much in a better position to uh, come out the other side. So I'm going to give you an assignment. Sure. M&T Bank just took over People's Bank here in Connecticut, yep. and it's been a disaster. And, you know, my friend, um, good friends of Max Reese, uh, who was the uh, head of communications for the governor and now is running their comms operation in, in for this in mm -hmm. Connecticut. Sure. He's an executive now with them. And- I want you to read into it a little bit and tell me if you think that they've handled it 
okay or what they may, sure. may have done or, 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 or whatnot. And, you know, for me, I, I want to talk about uh, when we continue this conversation at um, 720 is why companies are so dumb about how they communicate with the public and with the media. Like, I don't understand. I do not understand why. And I want to know, like, you want to be out front, right? You, the, the whole point is to be out front of things. And what I want you to explain to me in, in 20 minutes is what's the best way to go about it from a corporate perspective? And I think it's to be com- more communicative than not. Why do companies in 2022 still evade, avoid, and, and, and not communicate. And so I, I want you to put a pin in that because to me, like that's what I don't understand about corporate America is they have all these smart people who went to Wharton, this and that, but then when it comes to crisis communications, they don't communicate at all. He's TJ Winnick. The book is Reputation Capital. This is Brian and Company and WTIC News Talk 1080. Uh, we're here with TJ Winnick. The book is Reputation Capital. And just for context, even TJ and I have known each other for years. He went to college with my wife and uh, he worked at ABC when I worked at NBC, and we would cross paths in New York and sort of developed a friendship over the years. And I just, I really admire the fact that he made a transition out of journalism, although I, th- I thought he was great in it, and now has built this career in crisis management and PR to the point where he wrote a book about it. And I gave you a little homework assignment. You only had 10 minutes to do it. MNT Bank, they took over People's Bank, and the transition of the software and all the systems and accounts happened and it did not go well. And it got to the point where the attorney general and the, uh, the senior senator here in Connecticut got involved, said they have to do <clears> compensation. <throat> then MNT, I don't know what sort of communications they were having, but then they said they're going to waive fees for the next month or whatever. And I guess my first question is, did they handle it well? And is that enough of a response? Sure. So uh, let me just provide some quick context uh, up in the Boston area where I work. Uh, we have a bank client who is on the uh, acquiring end of a number of banks uh, over the past uh, eight years or so since we started working with them. So I've helped manage from a communication standpoint. So you've seen this before. I've seen I've seen this before. Has and, it gone this poorly before? No. Okay. And and what I can say is that so leading up to the actual changeover. Um, you know, there's there's time after the acquisition date. There's sort of a quiet sure. period, um, and there's a lot of time for folks in internal communications and the IT folks to sort of get together, brainstorm about the most obvious questions that customers are going to have. And from the deals that I've seen, these large sort of Q and A uh, packages go out to the uh, bank that's being acquired to their customers like six weeks ahead of time. So they know exactly what it is to well, We don't expect. know that that didn't happen. We, did, we don't know that that, that happened. happened, correct. So obviously, you know, it looks like a couple of things happened here. Um, one is that the tech did not work. all work as it was supposed to. And the second, just from reading some of the news stories, you know, this was a crash assignment, Brian. I know. That it's not clear that all of the branch staff knew exactly what to tell People. customers right so they didn't Who, have the messaging they didn't have the messaging across the board right and and in some of the deals that I've worked on most of the deals I've worked on that staff that you know frontline staff who's your intermediary between directly engaging the public of course yeah. right so they're the most they're the ones that the customers have the relationship with they're you know th- that relationship is where the trust exists so the 
one thing that's clear is that uh, they didn't respond fast enough. And you just mentioned that Blumenthal got involved, the attorney general. They Which want- are obviously political moves as well. Correct. But-, but And we also have to put this in context because apparently the um, the complaints from customers were, represent 0.06 sure. of the customer base. However, any customer not being happy should be an issue for a brand, whether not saying that's a crisis yet. Certainly now that the public officials have gotten involved, it is a crisis. But, you know, you have to decide when it moves from an issue yep. that's threatening your reputation to a full-blown crisis. Well, the point is, is I always said in, as an anchor, <clears throat> if there's a mistake that, that I in a script – it may not be my fault, but it's my responsibility, right. right? Because it comes out of my mouth. So even if it's a small amount, the me- it's low-hanging fruit for the media and politicians. So even if it's not indicative of the overall sentiment out there, it's still a huge problem if people are talking about it. Right. So this is why I give M&T high grades for how they have responded. Now, I couldn't really drill down on the timeline of how much time it took for them to respond. But I will say, so the CEO, Renee Jones of M&T, apologized and did say that he takes full responsibility and accountability uh, for what's taken place. The other is that M&T, and whether they were forced to or whether this was something that they proactively decided to do once they realized there were issues, have waived fees um, for, uh, you know, checking and consumer accounts, right, that, uh, you know, maybe had overdrafts or where money wasn't available. They're not assessing late fees on uh, consumer and mortgage loans. So that's a step in the right direction. Is it enough? Well, I it seems at this point, yes. Uh, I, I think that we need to see what else shakes out. Or have there been other issues as well? I mean, the thing that I talk about in my book is that you know, brands have to um, speak with, you know, competency, right? They need to, people need to believe that they know what they're doing. Right. They need to speak with authenticity, a little bit of the same thing, empathy. So they need to uh, make the customers understand that they know what they're going through. And I think the CEO, at least with his latest statement, does that. Um, you look, know, look, if I could just sure. interject, you know, because- the CEO said that. I mean, I guess maybe was it in a statement or in an interview? I, I'm not sure. Appears to be a statement. Okay, so my my biggest issue, I, and I think you're right. I think that it was a tough situation, and even if the complaint numbers were small, it's real, and they have to respond quickly. I'm right. not sure if they responded necessarily quickly enough in the sense that I think it was bad, and they sort of thought it would sort of blow over. But for me, as someone in the media, I I want it. I want someone on my show saying the things that you're saying. And and we haven't been able to access them for conversations. Well, that's, and is that and they're doing that on purpose, right? That's a conscious decision they're making. Is that the right decision? It's not the right decision. They're clearly hoping that it blows over, and then this is just it a will, bump in the will, road. It will. It will but eventually. The CEO should pick a trustworthy journalist like Brian Shackman Thank you. to sit down and have a conversation with, because clearly, again, uh, this was some crash uh, research, but. The fact that, you know, Blumenthal weighed in, the fact that the attorney general weighed in, you have to think they didn't respond fast enough, that they weren't proactive enough in terms of getting ahead of the complaints. The attorney general's office now has, you know, 100 complaints. And uh, when that happens, they're going to, you know, they're going to be watching and they're going to be watching closely. Which brings me back to the book. 
uh, reputation capital because yeah. you know for me I, and I worked in in business news for a long time and I had so sure. much interaction with with corporations and 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 folks at the C-suite level it seems that I've always been frustrated when things go wrong at how poorly companies communicate with the public and so I'm just curious, you know, what what your take is in the book on transparency, on responding to crises like this? Well, a couple of things. I mean, the the first is that, you know, I covered, like you, brands and crises. And it was genuinely difficult for me to understand how these executives and CEOs who had risen to the top of a organization in one of the most competitive fields, right, um, in the country or across the globe, could be such a poor communicator at a time of crisis and so unable to really articulate their brand's values and just how concerned they were. And I think that what I learned is that, you know, having the aptitude to be, let's say, a you know, an engineer for oil rigs and being a good communicator can be mutually exclusive and often are. The That's exam- why the people in like the head of communications for that company is crucial. Right. But you don't know how these companies are set up, if the CEO is in a bubble, if they're right. listening to if they ignores the everybody, wrong right. Counselor. The you know, the the oft uh cited issue of of uh, an example I just gave is uh you know the BP oil spill. I was, I was going to bring it up because I was in 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 Venice, Louisiana. I, I, think, I think we ran into each yeah. other at one point mm-hmm. down there because I spent a few weeks in the Gulf, uh, Grand Isle, Louisiana, which was sort of ground zero yeah. for when the Deepwater Horizon explosion Black occurred. And so BP, they, you give them what grade for that initial response? Well, I we mean, only have about a minute. Sure. I mean, first they tried to pass the buck. They they tried to say that it was um, you know the Deepwater Horizon folks. Um, that um, were to blame for the oil spill, which was catastrophic, as we all remember. Um, so they didn't do a great job. And then Tony Hayward, who was the CEO and a yep. brilliant engineer, as I mentioned, he apologized uh, at first, but then he said, uttered these words, I just want my life back. Yeah, as if he's the victim. Right. And, you know, the worst thing you can do is, uh, in addition to not apologizing if it's required, is to blame others or to make yourself the victim. Right. And so he was gone, you know, like a, a month later because he had become the face of BP. And so, you as know, a his, wh- as a whiner, as the board of directors knew, he just wasn't going to be the right the right spokesperson for BP at this time when they needed to show empathy. I got more questions and I want to talk. This is my favorite topic of, of the whole concept of what you do is 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 this corporate communication side of it. All right, thank you, Bob. 743. Uh, we don't have a ton of time. I'm talking with TJ Winnick, and the book is Reputation Capital, and you can get it now on Amazon. We got a couple copies here. I like the coloring, and I just, I like a lot of stuff that, that's in it. And one of the things I wanted to ask you as a former journalist, does a lot of the stuff come at you by instinct, or, did, or, or are there people that sort of taught you how to, like, how did you come to the knowledge, say the, the transparency and the, the the way executives need to behave, like was that just your instinct to have it to be right? I think um, there was again the aptitude of being a reporter, being able to report on deadline, being able to 
you know, take complex subject matters and then translate them into easy language that the general public can digest and, and understand. That is a skill set which is highly valued in the field I'm in right now uh, because oftentimes you are trying to explain whether it's a bank merger like we just talked about, um, whether there's an industrial accident, whether there is, um, you know, allegations of fraud that you need to try and, you know, when you're trying to talk to the general public about it, you need to make it as easy as possible for them to understand. And so I think that, you know, when I was a reporter and then came out working in crisis communications, the instincts were there. I knew what the, you know, who, when, what, why, where, and how of a news event would uncur- you know, occur. Right. And you also and, knew as a reporter what you hated or what you wouldn't use or bad pitches. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and having covered things like the BP oil spill, like Penn State University, like um, the Toyota recall of uh, 2009, yeah. like uh, many of the archdiocese uh, cases up in Boston when I was a local reporter up there, you saw what uh, brands did well and what they didn't do well. And so then I would try and take those lessons learned and try to apply them to the communication strategies that I was uh, found myself then involved in. There was a learning curve in terms of working with customers, let's say, and understanding that all clients are different. You know, they all uh, feel differently about their brand. They're all comfortable with a different level of engagement. You were asking, should, does there need to be a live interview? Should it be a written statement instead? Right. Some will, will favor a more aggressive approach. Others will want to be, you know, a little bit more subdued. And at some point you have to acquiesce to what they want, even if it's against your advisement. We give them our best counsel, yeah. you know, that, and, and that's all we can do. And at the end of the day, it is up to the client. Um, but I have to say that the number of times that they've taken advice and then maybe not taken advice is probably, you know, north of 90%. Interesting. His name is TJ Winnick. The book is Reputation Capital, and you can get it on Amazon right now. It's been really nice to have him in studio most of the morning here. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.